prayer before we open God's Word together. Lord, we thank you uh, for this beautiful day. We thank you for the gift of your Word and what it teaches us. That as we uh, read your words today, that we are hearing you speak to us. And for that, we thank you. We pray that as we open your Word, that we would be shaped by it. That we would let you stand over us in all things. That we would seek to honor you in our lives and always in the ways that you've defined to us through your word, the way you have revealed yourself to us. And so we ask that your spirit would lead and would guide us, that you would teach us this morning as we do open your word and that you would uh, uh, make it very real to us, that you would apply these truths to our hearts, that you would show us areas where we're not trusting you, where we're seeking to be our own Lord of our life, that you would reveal those areas to us and point us more fully to how you love us and what you've done for us and what it means for us. And uh, we just pray that you'd be glorified as we spend our time here together. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Uh, just to ask the question, I want you to think about this for just a second, but how often each day do you struggle with decisions in your life? Uh, that which you know uh, you should be doing or you want to be doing and maybe something else that you want to do. I don't know if anybody struggles with those kind of things. Yeah, you can show your hand. <laughs> There's a few hands like, yes, that's me. Right? Uh, right now, for me, I've been, I've been trying to eat better. And so, as ridiculous as it is, it's things like uh, there's donuts on the counters for the boys. And I go, oh, man, I'd really rather have that donut than my multi-grain bar that I take with me as I'm leaving. And I go, oh, that'd be so good, right? And you go back and forth and you go, oh, but I want to eat good, but... That donut sure looks good. Or whatever it is. Or maybe uh, I, I want to get up earlier in the morning or I want to exercise or I'm going to spend more time reading God's word or I'm going to do these things. And then uh, the alarm goes off and it's like, man, I sure would like to sleep a few minutes longer or whatever it may be. And so we're faced with those things uh, every day over and over. Uh, the truth is, and theologians have kind of theorized on this, and if you really start to think about it, it makes sense. Uh, we do what we most want to do uh, all the time. When we're struggling with those things, for example, if your alarm goes off in the morning and you want to go to work or you don't want to go to work as it is, you go, man, I'd much rather sleep. And you go, I really don't want to go to work today. But you get up and you do it anyway. It's because you want the paycheck. Uh, you want to take care of your family. You want to do those things that you need to do more than you want to sleep late. You see how that works? We do what we most want to do. And so at different times and those different things, I want to eat healthier. I want to take care of myself and my, my heart and all those things. But sometimes I would rather eat a donut. Right? We go back and forth in those things. And so we do what we most want to do each day in different ways. But oftentimes that becomes a real difficult, very real struggle. Uh, you see the Apostle Paul kind of fleshing that out in Romans chapter 7 when he talks about the things that I want to do and the things that I don't, I do the things that I don't want to do. And he, he's, he's voicing the struggle that we have as believers. And we do have a struggle. God has come into our life and he's brought us to life in Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus, he turns our affections towards him. He starts to change the way we think and act and live. But then our flesh keeps coming back up and wants to pull us back to other things. And so each day we're faced with choices and there's these struggles that are very real in front of us. Every single one of us. We deal with it every day. Sometimes it's little things like, should I eat a donut or not? And sometimes it's much greater things. Am I going to trust God and what he's told me or am I not? And so this morning we're going to think about that with the way Jesus teaches us to pray. 
and how Jesus prays for us. That's what we've been doing the last several weeks. We've been looking at Matthew chapter 6, what we often call the Lord's Prayer. Probably one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then verse 13 that we're going to focus in on today. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I want to set that uh, kind of as we've been doing with John 17, which is Jesus praying for us. So Matthew 6, he's teaching us to pray. John 17 is Jesus just hours before he will go to the cross. And he's teaching the disciples uh, or he's praying for the disciples And he says he's praying for those that will come to faith, which we've been saying every week is you. It's us that have put our faith in Jesus. He's praying for us. And so the way he prays for us, he also talks about this idea of temptation and different things that are coming at us. And what he tells us as he prays for us, what we learn about the way Jesus prays for us, is really gives us a healthy understanding of how to live out what he's teaching us to pray when he says, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. And so that's what I want us to do today. And simply the way we're going to look at this is first, we're just going to ask the question, when Jesus teaches us to pray that, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil, what are we praying for? Pretty straightforward, but what are we praying for? And then secondly, as we look at what Jesus prays for us in John 17, how do we begin to live that out? What we're praying for? How do we then begin to live that out? And those are the two things I want us to look for look at this morning. And so Matthew six, really verse 13, but then we're going to spend most of our time again in John 17, which is on page 624 in your pew Bible. If you want to follow along, Uh, I say this every week. Those are there for the taking. If you need one or you know someone that needs one, that's why those Bibles are there. And so love for you to take one. If you know somebody that could use it or you yourself need one. And so page 624 is where we're going to be in John 17. And so as we think about this idea What are we praying for? Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so pretty straightforward as you begin to think about what that picture is. What is temptation? We can say, well, I'm tempted to eat a donut when I show. No, I probably shouldn't eat a donut. Right. That's part of it. We can go. "Yeah, Yeah, I start to get that idea. But how does God define that? How does God's word define this idea of being tempted? And really the idea that we get at in Scripture is when we are tempted to put anything in God's rightful place. When we are presented with the opportunity that instead of trusting God, I'm going to not trust God and do something else. Instead of seeing things the way God has defined them to be, I'm going to go, no, I think I'm going to do that on my own in another way. And so we're all tempted with that in all different ways all the time. We have opportunities to ignore God and what he's told us in the world he created every day. I say that a lot. That's the way we define sin. I think that's the way scripture defines sin. Ignoring God in the world he created. And we're tempted to do that at every turn. We're constantly bombarded by this in our world. And the reason is that God has given us a choice. He created man and he gave us a choice of either to trust him or not to trust him. That was really the only rule he gave us at the beginning. Adam and Eve, he he puts them in the garden and he says, you're going to walk closely with me. We're going to have this relationship. Trust me. And they decided not to. 
And so scripture tells us as they decided not to, sin entered the world. And every person that has been subsequently born from Adam and Eve is born into a sinful disposition. We're sinful people. And so we live in a fallen, sinful world. And so each day our heart is deceitful and it wants to tell us, no, you're the center of the world and you can do this on your own. So we're constantly tempted to believe that lie. That it's all about me and it all centers around what I think and what I want and not what God's told me. Every single one of us does that. Every one of us has that opportunity each day to, to buy into that lie. And so we're tempted in different ways when that begins to happen. And so Jesus teaches us, lead us not into temptation. He teaches us to pray that. Lead us not into temptation. And we start to think, of, well, what does that mean exactly? Is Jesus praying that we will never, ever be tempted? I don't, I don't think that's what he's praying. In fact, the scriptures tell us that being tempted, the choice that's presented before you is not a sin. It's when we begin to act on it and move into it that it becomes a sin. For example, in Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. Jesus was faced with all the temptations that we faced as he walked on this earth and as he went about and he did his things. And it said, yet he didn't sin. He never gave in to temptation. He was faced with all the temptations we are, yet without sin. So it tells us real clearly in Scripture, being tempted is not itself a sin. It's just being presented with the opportunity to do so. And so when we start to think about this idea of being led into temptation, I think Jesus is praying for us that we would not begin to dwell on these things, that we would not stop and start to step into those things or give into it. To begin to ignore God and the world he's created, which is sin. And so he's teaching us not to pray that we would not walk into those things. That we wouldn't dwell on or entertain those ideas going against what God's clearly told us. And so he teaches us to pray that way. And so I want us just to think about what that looks like for just a minute. But before we do, think about the second part of what he teaches us to pray. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. And so what is he teaching us to pray when he says deliver us from evil? As I studied and went back and looked at those and was looking at what a lot of different people have said down through the ages, there's two kind of big thoughts that come out. And I'll be honest with you, I think both of them are right. I don't think either one of them is wrong when they say this. Some would say that evil deliver us from evil or external things that threaten us. Uh, Martin Luther said that. He said that's the way he would look at this second part. Deliver us from evil. And so things like poverty or death or dishonor, those are the kind of things he's talking about. So deliver us from external pressures that could bring a harm on us. But then a lot of theologians look at it and they pair those two together. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil is really talking about our own sinful heart. The evil within us. The things that make us want to grab hold of the temptations that are in front of us and make and define ourselves as the sinner. And so John Calvin said it that way. Deliver us from the evil within our own sinfulness. And I think both of those are true. Both of those are fit in what Scripture tells us. I'm going to kind of take the approach more this morning of looking more at the evil within us than the things external, although both are legitimate to pray and to ask God's protection for And I think he is teaching us to pray both of those. But this picture of deliver me from my own sinful flesh. I have a new creation in Christ. 
and he begins to remake me into Jesus's image. I am spotless and blameless in God's presence because of what Jesus has done. But the truth is, I have all these areas in my life where I'm still not completely trusting God. And I still reside there and I'm tempted each day to go back to what my old nature was instead of what I now am in Jesus. And so we struggle through that and we wrestle with that. And so that's the picture I want us to think about here. And so look at what Jesus prays for us in John 17. We're going to start in verse uh, 14. We've looked at these verses several times, but they're very helpful to keep coming back to what Jesus prays for us. He says, I have given them your word. So Jesus talking to the father about us. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. I'm going to stop there for just a second. Jesus prays to the father that he would keep us from the evil one. Right. Very similar to what he teaches us to pray. He's talking about temptations that come and he's telling us, I've given them my word and they're not like the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And Jesus sets for us real clearly that definition that we're talking about. He gives us the difference between defining ourselves. We're tempted each day to define our define ourselves by what the world says. Right. And so he says, no, I've given them their your word and they're no longer like the world. They have God's word. We have God's word. And so we can see how things actually are, not what the world tells us they are. And then he says, sanctify them. That is grow them more like uh, Christ in our life. Grow closer to God by your truth, by the word. And he says, you let that stand over you. And so Jesus prays that for us, that that would be the case. When he's talking about the world here, by the way, they're not of the world. Well, we still live in the world. He's praying, don't take them out of the world. But given the context and everything he says, he's talking about fallen, sinful humanity. Those that are not acknowledging God, that are defining things by the way they think about it instead of the way God has told us. And so he says, we're not like that anymore. And we have God's word to show us how we should actually live. And so there's the picture there. So what does that practically look like? In your life, when we're faced with temptation and the different things that are coming at us, you know, there's different temptations every day that come at us. You know, I said just a second ago that temptation itself is not the sin. It's when you give into it and you begin to go in the Greek. That word actually doesn't have a a positive or negative connotation. It's just neutral. When we think of temptation, we often put it in very negative connotation. In fact, a lot of times when we say temptation, a lot of times we think of sexual temptation. That's a lot of times where we go and we think of someone trying to entice you to sin. And so we face it in different ways like that. Jesus himself told us that adultery is when it's in your mind, you're actually thinking it. It's not just your actions. Right. He totally blew that up. All the legalism of I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. He says, no, it's actually the way you think as well. And so he defines it for us when we begin to remove God from his rightful place and dwell on other things and put them in in a place they shouldn't take. And so God defines it real clearly. Adultery is sleeping with anyone that's not your wife. Right. One man, one woman for life, committed covenantal relationship. That's it. 
That's the picture that's in Scripture. And so that means if you're sleeping with your girlfriend, she's not your wife and you're committing adultery. Right? We like to think of it as, is it's just if you're sleeping with someone else's wife, but God doesn't play it that way. Right? It's your wife, husband together, and that's it. And so anything else, even in your mind when you say, I'm going to give in to the temptation and imagine different scenarios or different people or different things, you're now stepped into adultery. That's what Jesus says. And so we're tempted with things like that, and that's the way we often think of it. Now we come to faith, and God begins to change our affections, and we see uh, sin for what it is, and we start to go, God, I don't want to have thoughts like that. I don't want to go to those places uh, maybe you're sitting at your computer alone and you're doing your taxes, right? We just did tax season. You have an opportunity as you're doing your taxes. Man, you could cheat all over the place on that, right? You're reading through and I'm going, man, I can just, right? There's a temptation that's very real. I could get some more money back if I'm willing to be dishonest, right? And I go, God, I don't want to do that. I want to honor you in my finances and in the way I do my taxes and every part of it. And so asking him to remove that, lead us not into temptation. I don't want to step into that. I don't want to believe that I need to do these things to complete certain things in me and those kind of things. And so we're faced with it in all these different ways. And oftentimes they say, yes, I get that. I see that in my life. I see that in different places. But the truth is temptation can come in much more subtle ways than that. We're tempted all the time. Our heart is deceitful above all things. Scripture tells us we quickly want to go to other things other than God for our self-worth, for enjoyment, different things from what God has told us. And we're constantly bombarded with those things. There's a wonderful book by uh, Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City at uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And he's written a lot of books recently. And he's really good on a lot of areas. But I'd say he's best on when he starts to talk about the idols of your heart. The things that you want to put your functional trust in instead of God for meaning and significance and enjoyment in your life. And we all do this in different ways. And so he wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, the things that we put in God's place. And so I would highly recommend that book to you. It's a really great diagnostic tool for your own heart. And I remember reading that book and reading along and he gets to a chapter on talking about how money becomes a counterfeit God in our life. And as he was going through it, he's talking about the way I normally think of, maybe not you, but the way I normally think of temptations that come with money. He's talking about status symbols, the things that we buy that give us self-worth. Look at the car I drive, look at the watch I have, look at the house I live in, these things that we want to get our identity from. And we struggle with that big time in our culture because we're bombarded with it in every way. Right? If you just have this car, you just have this TV, or you have this phone, or whatever it is, we're bombarded with constant advertisements that tell us that. Define yourself by what you have. And so he's walking through, and he's talking about the way in our culture that we can do that, and all these things can become counterfeit gods in our life. And I was reading along, and I'm nodding with him, I'm going, oh yeah, yeah, yes, definitely, that's true. See that everywhere, it's all over the place. And then all of a sudden, as I'm thinking that, I'm getting a little bit self-righteous in my thinking. I'm actually pretty cheap. I don't like to spend money on a lot of things. Uh, you can ask Joanna about it. I would rather just not, hey, we don't need that. That's no big deal. We don't need it, right? And so I'm, I'm, I would say frugal, but I'm really just cheap, right? It's, I'm not frugal. I'm just cheap. 
And so I don't like to spend money on those kind of things. And so I'm reading along and I'm kind of going, yeah, yeah, that's it. And then all of a sudden he starts to turn on how money can be an idol in your life. When you have to have a certain number in your bank account to give you security. And I went, oh, wait a second. Right? I don't know about that one. Yeah, I'm fine with it over here. But when he starts talking about it that way, I go, well, wait a second. And then he starts to kind of flesh that out. And he says, you can begin to realize that as you're not spending money, you're being very frugal, making sure you have enough in your account. You're actually spending absolutely everything on your need to feel secure, protected and in control. I went, oh, right. That's me. I see that so clearly. I want to make sure there's a certain number, which is ridiculous when you think about it. A piece of number on a paper is going to keep me safe or in control or any of those things. But I start to put my security in this other thing over here. And all of a sudden it's like, man, how easily it is to be tempted into putting my security and my uh, control in things other than God. I didn't even realize I was doing it. But as I'm reading, it's like he's absolutely right. I do that all the time. And so temptation can be ever so subtle. I remember reading that book and getting to that point and going, God, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil of my own heart that wants me to control everything and pretend like now I'm safe and I've got everything in control because of a number in a bank account, which is absurd. And I'm putting my trust in something else. We do this in all different ways every day. We're faced with so many ways in which we're going to trust other things rather than God. And so lead us not into temptation. So that's the big picture what we think about when we think of temptation. Putting other things in God's place. So what does Jesus say here in John 17 that practically helps us to live that out so we don't do that? So that's not the case. And the first thing I would say to you, and there's three ways I'd look at it, is is your, your head is going to be involved Your hands, what you're doing, and then your heart. Your head, your hands, and your heart. It's a good way to remember it and think about it. But as we think to live it out, look at what Jesus says. He says it right there. We looked at it just a second ago. In verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Start with the head part. Jesus says over and over as he prays for us that we would define ourselves by what God says and not what the world says. That we'd be thinking what God says is going to stand over what we do versus what the world tells us. You are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. That's what Jesus says. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Let God's word stand over the way you see and the way you act and the way you go about your stuff, the way you put your faith. And it's in God and what he's done. And he tells us that very clearly. And so when we think about temptations that come in our life, we need to define what's going on by what God's word says. Makes sense, does it not? If temptation is really ignoring God, then we need to go back and see what his word says and look at it that way. See, we can start to fall into different ways of of looking at temptations and we can get woe is me and all these things that are going on. And why is this happening? What does this look like? And we're forgetting who God is. Think about how Jesus taught us to pray. Our father in heaven. He says, you come to me as your perfect father. You as a perfect father that knows how to give good gifts to your children. God is that much greater. 
You don't tempt your kids with evil, do you? You don't try to trip them up. You don't try to get them into trouble. But sometimes we start to fall into that lie. James tells us very clearly, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You hear what he's saying? Temptation comes when we decide that we know better instead of resting in what God's clearly told us in his word. You see that? Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is telling us clearly how to fight temptation in our life. You let God's word stand over you. You listen to what God says. And when the world says something contrary to what God says, you say, I'm going to trust God in this. When the world says this is what makes sense and this is the way we've reasoned it out and this is what we should now do. And God's word says something different. You go, I'm going to stand with God. He knows better. He made this. He is the creator of all things. We said last week that he is he is the uh, master of all reality. He created the reality. And so we're going to let him stand over it. And Jesus says this over and over. John 15, he says, abide in me and my words in you. You want to bear fruit. You want to follow me. You want to glorify me in your life. My word will be dwelling in you. Abide in me and my words in you. He says this over and over because all temptation at his root comes back to not believing who God is and who we are in light of what he's done. And so he tells us you have to be rooted and grounded in my word. And he tells us that picture. And so the first part I would say is when we think about it is your head has to be involved and you have to be defining all things by what God says, not how you feel or think about it. You let him stand over you. That's why it's so important when you think of abiding in Jesus and his words and you to know what scripture says. To memorize scripture, to go back and, and replay those things and go back to God's word and what he said to you. It's a remarkable thing that scripture tells us if we actually believe it. When you read God's word, God is speaking to you. Says his word is eternal and life giving. And oftentimes we kind of flippantly go, ah, I'll make this decision on my own. And so Jesus tells us, let the word stand over you. But then he doesn't stop there. He says something here that kind of goes against the way I think we think a lot of times. Go back to verse 16 right? or 15. They do, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not... Of the world, just as I am not of the world, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And so obviously very vital is is holding to God's word. Your head is going to be involved. But then he tells you what you should be about and doing. What you should be going. He prays for us that God would not take us out of the world. See, oftentimes when we think about fighting temptation, we say we'll hole up and we'll have a Bible study and we'll dwell in the word and we'll encourage one another and we'll sing songs and we'll do this and we'll keep all the evil out. And Jesus says over and over, I'm praying that you do not take them out of the world, but they would just look differently. We wouldn't be defined as the world defines things. We'll be defined by God's word, but we'll be in the world and we'll be sent in the way Jesus is sent. 
And so Jesus doesn't stop with the idea that you, you fight temptation by Bible studies only. Yes, you do Bible study. Yes, you let God's word dwell over you. You spend time and you memorize it and you know it and you fight to understand it and you get around people that do. And then you get together and you go out in the world and you show what it looks like to honor Jesus in everything. And he doesn't say you hole up. And so often we miss it to one side or the other. Sometimes we'll go, we need to be in the world. And we go out and we don't spend time in the word. And we spend lots of time in the world and we go, oh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to change the world, I'm going to do this. And we look just like the world. And nothing good's coming from that because we're letting the world define how we live and what it looks like. And so we slide way over here. Or we say, I'm going to study the word, I'm going to study the word, I'm going to study the word, and I'm going to get away from the world. And Jesus doesn't tell us to do either. He says, know what it says and then go into the world and live differently. And so, so often, I think what happens is we overemphasize one or the other and we miss the fullness of what he's calling us to. Right in the middle of him praying for us to be uh, kept from the evil one, he says in the exact same verse, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. And we miss that so often. And I think part of the picture is it is your head, but it's also your hands being sent in the world to be on mission for what God's called you to do. It's both and together. It's not an either or kind of thing. And so it's going to be a word and deed as you're beginning to live it. I think of that idea of holding up and we'll do Bible study and we'll get away from things. It's like we're going to go on the defensive. Oh, no. The evil might get in and get us. We serve a risen Lord that has defeated sin and death. We don't have to be on the defensive. We go and we proclaim who he is and what he's done. And we don't go, oh, no. We go, I know the one that's redeeming all of it. And so we give our time there and we live that way. And we begin to see what God's doing. It's one of the greatest ways to fight temptation. Instead of sitting around and worrying about the evil, go, I'm going to go out there in the power of the Spirit and proclaim Jesus. And so he tells us to go and to be in it and to be part of it. And so we think about that picture. We let God define who we are and what we're about by his word. And then we're sent like Jesus is sent and we go in that way. And we begin to live in that way. And it's almost the opposite of how we normally think, what Jesus tells us. But then when we think about combating temptation, it starts to come into clear focus when you start to see that. Right? It's this picture that happens when we start to actually give our lives away for the one who made them. We're involved in what he's called us to be. What happens? I've said this for several weeks now, but I'm going to keep saying it. God has just so clearly laid it on my heart over and over each week. And it's verse 13 where he says, but now I'm coming to you. He's talking to the father. He says, and I am saying these things that I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So Jesus says, I want you to be people of the word in the world living a totally different life that glorifies God in the midst of that. And I want you going and doing that. And he said, and I'm telling you that, I'm saying that to you that your joy would be fulfilled. Here's the thing that happens with temptation. 
We are tempted to give in to other things because we believe there's something better out there. When you give your life to Jesus and you see him and you know him and you spend your time about him, nothing else compares. Nothing. The more you do it, the more you give your life away, the more you care about other people than yourself, the more you seek to glorify him in everything you do. The idea of being tempted about the crazy. It's like you sit down to eat the greatest meal that you've ever had. Fill in the blank of whatever that's going to be. I was going to say like a filet mignon, but I have friends that are vegetarians here, right? So that didn't work for you. So fill in whatever that is. And then somebody goes, hey, you want a McDonald's hamburger? No, I don't want a McDonald's hamburger. I'm eating the great. It's the same thing. When you're all about Jesus and you're on his mission, and you're in the world loving people, and you're seeing the Spirit move, and you see the scales falling off people's eyes, seeing the Creator and Redeemer of the world, you go, I'm not going back to that. And so Jesus knows what he's talking about when he says, I'm telling you this, that my joy might be fulfilled in you. There's a reason that he's surrounding keep them from the evil one with don't take them out of the world, sanctify them in the truth, that they would be something totally different. It doesn't make any sense any other way. And so if we would actually believe what Jesus tells us, the greatest life that is available to you in this time before Jesus comes back is loving him, being sanctified in his word, defining yourself by what he says, and then actually believing him and leaving it, living it out. We'd be amazed. Now, that doesn't mean temptation won't still come. It will. There will be times that things still pop up and there will still be attacks. They will be there. But as you grow closer to him, he becomes so much bigger. You see how much bigger he is. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus tells us. He not only teaches us to pray it, but then he prays it for us and he shows us how to live it. What a gift he's given us. So let's pray. God, I thank you for the truth of your word and what you've told us. I pray that you would give us the leading of your spirit, that you would show us clearly how to walk in obedience in all these things in all these ways, that we would seek to honor you in every area of our lives, each and every day as we go forth, that you would help us to see how we trust you in all things. I pray that your spirit, as you have promised us, would show us when we're starting to believe lies that are not true of what you've told us, that you would convict us when we start to go into those areas and point us back to the fullness that we have in Jesus. We thank you and we pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.